This morning we're continuing on into Ephesians chapter 5. If you want to open up to verse 15 in chapter 5, that's where we're headed today. About 15 years ago, an obscure or or slightly uh, obscure French word made its way into the youth culture of uh, nations all over the globe. And the word was parkour. Any of you recognize this term? Maybe a few. Again, it was, it was popularized among probably, you know, young people in their teens and 20s. And the word sort of loosely embodies something like freestyle running or freestyle walking. It's, it's the art of, of sort of moving through a space in a radically different way. And if you've ever seen a clip of what's called parkour, it's it's a sort of sport, you'll see runners, you know, going through public spaces and they're jumping off rooftops, they're running up walls, they're, you know, kind of pushing their way off moving vehicles sometimes or leaping over railings. And they're, they're moving in a way that most of us wouldn't even dare to imagine, let alone try. And it is incredible to watch. One writer trying to sort of give definition to what this new sport was about described it in this way. He says parkour is the art or the challenge of seeing your environment in a new way, imagining the potential for navigating it, uh, navigating through it by, by choosing movement around, across, through, over or under its features, right? Rather than just walk through it in the way we all do, it's, it's finding a new way to navigate. It's taking, you know, our ordinary everyday lives and reimagining how we walk through it. Now, you could find some incredibly massive, amazing examples of this on the Internet. But not everyone, of course, who who tries to move in a new way has the same measure of success. Take these guys, for example. This is parkour. Internet sensation of 2004, and it was in one of the Bond films. It's pretty impressive. The goal is to get from point A to point B as creatively as possible. So technically, they are doing parkour as long as point A is delusion and point B is the hospital. Ah! Ah! All right, they're, they're attempting, right, to walk in a new way. But as hard as they're trying, these guys don't seem to be overcoming what they're up against. That appears to be themselves in this situation, right? I apologize in advance to our Sunday school teachers this morning, right? You're going to have a new model of walking through the building. But as the, the clip demonstrates, to navigate through our world, to walk through it, to run through it in a new way, you need practice, you need skill, you need discipline. You need teaching. Right? There, there's an art to this, this new sport. And clearly that wasn't something these guys had taken very seriously. Right? They just sort of were winging their way through it. 
And maybe that's something that the ancient Greeks understood better than we do in contemporary times, that, that the way we walk, the way we move matters. In the Greek language, there is a verb, peripateo, which literally means to, to stroll or to walk about. But often they use that the manner in which a person lived, the way they walked through life, the way they walked through their world. And so in Paul's letter to the Ephesians that we have been studying over these many months, it shouldn't surprise us that Paul takes that verb on several occasions and and he uses it to help us understand what it means to walk, what it means to live, what it means to be people joined to Jesus Christ, moving through our world in a new way. He says that we are meant in the person of Jesus Christ now to strike a different course, to, to, to carry ourselves in a different manner. Like one of these parkour athletes, we're meant to see our environment differently. And so in chapters 4 and 5, this verb comes up again and again. Chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've now received. A little later in chapter 4, he says, that means you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So we moved into chapter 5 last week. Paul exhorted us to walk in love as, as those who are beloved children of God walk now in love as Christ has loved us first. And then in the same passage, Paul tells us we're meant to walk as children of light. To embody the the revelation, the illumination of of the Holy Spirit and the gospel transforming who we are. To be people in Jesus Christ is to walk differently. Both in our lives gathered here together in the church, but also as we move through the world out there. And as we move into verse 15 today, Paul again stresses just how critical the way we walk, the way we live, the way we carry ourselves truly is. But he also wants us to know that God has equipped us. He's given us these great gifts by which we are are made ready. We are trained in the art of walking differently. So as we open the word of God, let me offer a, a brief word of prayer. For us together. Lord, we thank you that we have been joined to you, that you now live in us. And so we're able to have minds that are transformed, we're able to have bodies that are transformed, but we're able to now walk in a new and different way. Pray as your word speaks to us this morning that it would show us what that movement looks like. And that it would be a a movement closer to you, full of your Holy Spirit's work. Lord, may the words of my mouth now as I teach, may the the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. Amen. Ephesians 5, verses 15 and following. Paul returns again now to this this verb, this metaphor of walking. Be very careful, then, 
how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the, the Lord's will is. Paul says here, for us to live in a new way, we require wisdom. We require the wisdom of God. And, and wisdom is, is something that helps us navigate our way through difficult and challenging spaces. I think it's helpful for us to think for a moment, once again, context, the, the people, the intended audience of this letter. Paul's writing to new believers, new communities of faith in the city of Ephesus and in the, the communities surrounding them out in the countryside. And that time, that place was not exactly hospitable to new believers. To be a, a first century Jew or a new Christian in Ephesus and in the, the area surrounding Ephesus was incredibly challenging. Right? The, the streets of that city were not welcoming. They didn't welcome walking in this new way. In fact, they were in opposition to it. If you remember back a few months ago, we, we talked about how the city of Ephesus itself held one of, if not the largest, temple in the ancient world. And it was a temple constructed to worship the idol of uh, Artemis, goddess Diana. She was a fertility goddess. And in Acts chapter 19, Luke describes when, when Paul is beginning to gain a foothold in the city and, and the church is beginning to grow in Ephesus, that there is an idol maker named Demetrius who his job and job of his colleagues was to fashion these idols of Diana or Artemis and sell them to worshipers, place them in the surrounding places of worship and temples. And so as, as the church is beginning to grow, as Paul is gaining an audience for his preaching, it's cutting into the local business of the idol makers. And so this, this sort of bubbles over into a great conflict. And soon we're told that um, Demetrius and his colleagues gather together a great crowd and, and a near riot takes place. They storm into the arena there in Ephesus, which could hold approximately 25,000 people. And Luke tells us that as the, as the arena fills up with this angry mob, they begin to chant, chant for, for two straight hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Right? They're, they're extolling their worship to this foreign god. And Paul barely makes it out of the city alive. But even as he moves on for a season, you can imagine the fear, you can imagine the challenges that faced the believers that were left behind there. Paul is writing to them now in verse 15. And he says that to live your life in that environment, to continue to walk out this new gospel, this new way of being joined to the person of Jesus, requires careful thought, careful reflection in order to remain circumspect. He says, be very careful then 
how you live. Be careful to walk with wisdom. What does the wisdom of God mean? How does it invite us to walk in a new way? At present, we hear very little about wisdom in our cultural moment. Right? Our, our schools and institutions emphasize learning. They emphasize knowledge. But we don't hear much about wisdom. Our tech-savvy information age tells us that, that data is important. Right? We binge on information. But the idea of wisdom has almost entirely disappeared from a postmodern horizon. Wisdom is an invitation to go beyond mere information, mere facts, and to, to take what we know and live it, to embody it, for it to change who we are. But thankfully, where we are perhaps deficient in our contemporary situation, the scriptures are, are, are filled with an abundance of resource here. If you take just the Old Testament books of Scripture alone, the word wisdom appears in the NIV more than 160 times. We have a, a whole section of the Old Testament called the, the wisdom books, Proverbs and Psalms and the Song of Songs and others. And if you were to open up to the book of Psalms or the book of Proverbs, you would see that theme of, of what it is to walk in wisdom everywhere, especially at the outset of both of those books. Both the Psalms and Proverbs begin by describing the kind of a fork in the road, the two pathways set out before humanity, set out before our hearts and minds and souls. And they talk about one pathway that leads to life, it leads to blessing, it leads to true understanding. Right? This is the path of Torah, it's the path of obedience, it's the path of, ...of the fear of the Lord. But the Psalms and Proverbs also describe another road... Right, ...that's marked out by seductive desires... ...and by a kind of self-deception. And the scriptures say that that way too might initially seem good to us... ...might seem good in our eyes. But ultimately it is a road that ends badly... And so in order to discern which of these roads are we on, how are we in fact moving through our lives, we require the wisdom of God. We need his voice, his revelation to help us see which path we're on. And so at the end of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 8, we hear the voice of God's wisdom speaking. And wisdom says this, it says, those who find me find life. But those who fail to find me, they, they harm themselves. Those who hate me love death. Scriptures say that to walk in wisdom is a matter of life and death. We need to choose wisdom. We need the wisdom of God guiding us so that we might have life in ourselves. Paul goes on here, he says, I urge you, right, be, be careful, walk as those, not who are unwise, but as wise. 
making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It's interesting there in verse 16. Both we need the wisdom of God so that we might have life, so that we might, might be careful not to be led astray. But verse 16 he goes on and says that, that we need wisdom so that we might also bring the life of God to the world. That we might redeem it. That we might make the most of every opportunity that we have in this world. The phrase here, making the most of every opportunity, is, is sort of a Greek idiom. And it, it holds the idea of, of buying up time, buying back time. And it's, it's a, a verb that would be used in the Greek marketplace. When a trader would go into the market and, and buy something up in order to, to repurpose it, refashion it, and, and offer it again in a new way. Paul says we need to walk in the way of wisdom, not only for ourselves, but so that we can buy back, so that we can redeem, we can repurpose the world in which we live. Because the days in which we live are evil. The pathway in which our world so often walks is, is slated for destruction. Wisdom, though, is, is the way in which we walk in the life of God to redeem things. Wisdom is the way we do cultural engagement. Wisdom is how we might snatch up those things which have great worth and value to God but are currently lost. How can we go and make the most of them, buy them back, redeem them, so that they may in fact know the life of God as well. When I read through verses 15 and 17 here, I hear Paul sort of continuing that invitation to grow up that he spoke about back in chapter 4. To become mature. He's saying if, if Christ has called you to himself, if he's filled you with his spirit, if he's joined you to his body, if he's called you his beloved children, if he's sh shown his light upon you, then it's time to take that calling seriously. It's time to take that calling out into your world and to develop a wisdom that is able to grapple with the issues of our day. Right? Don't be fools. Don't be foolish. Don't hide away in isolation. Walk in love. Walk in light. Walk in the wisdom God has given you as his children. And there are all sorts of places in our world that are calling for, are starving for the wisdom of God to bring them this life. Places that need to be redeemed and bought back. I think about even just the crisis surrounding human identity that, that sort of blossomed in the 20th century and just continues to accelerate in the 21st century. Right? Human beings in our world struggle to even know who they are, by whom they were created, in what do they have value and worth as persons. Right? What does it mean to be a human being? Right? The church is called to speak into that, to redeem that, to buy that back. But to do that, we need the wisdom of God. Today, we live in a globalized world. We, we live in a world of increasing diversity. But it's also a world that, in that diversity, is increasingly fractured, increasingly hostile toward one another. 
to be a redemptive presence, to buy that back, to make the most of that opportunity, we need the wisdom of God. We live in a world of conspicuous consumption, right? Where we believe that that the things that we manufacture with our hands are what we're meant to worship, are what give us significance. But we know that we are created by a God to worship Him, to worship the one who has fashioned us. But to invite others into that, we need to live out, we need to walk in the wisdom of our God. So Paul continues in verse 17 and he says, as, as the maturing, as the, the children who are, are loved by God and are growing up into this invitation, we are meant to understand in God's wisdom what the, the will of the Lord is. Wisdom is God's invitation to share his heart, to share his mind, to share in his intention, to share in his work in the world. Paul says back in Ephesians, I think it's 2.10, right, that, that God has created us as his masterpieces so that we may now walk into the good works he's prepared for us to do. Right, that we might understand and share in what his will is. Paul says, to walk in a new way, we need the wisdom of God. And then in verse 18, he turns to another source, another resource that God has given us in order to walk differently. He says, we also need to be filled with the power of his spirit. The spirit is what leads us into this new way of wisdom and life. Look with me at verses 18 through 21. So do not get drunk on wine, Paul continues, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul continues in these verses this idea of walking differently, of being a different kind of people. And he says to walk differently we need supernatural wisdom. We need to know how we navigate our way through the world. And so too we need supernatural presence of God. We need his spirit filling up everything we are, all that we do. He must be what moves us through this life. And so verses 15 through 17 describe the way of wisdom. Verses 19 through 21 here describe the way of worship. How we walk through our world in worship to God. Verse 18, though, feels a bit abrupt, right? It it cuts into this discourse with a warning against drunken behavior. ...and revelry and debauchery. We might wonder, well, why has Paul turned his attention there in verse 18? Well, in the Gentile world at that time... ...it was not uncommon to associate intoxication... ...and this kind of behavior... ...with a kind of gateway to spiritual experience. 
spiritual wisdom and insight. Depending on what god or goddess you worshipped in the ancient world, often drinking to excess and then engaging in things like ritual prostitution and other kinds of debauchery with your body were part of what worship looked like. You would do this in the banqueting halls. You would do this in the temples of Ephesus. Worship meant meant bringing these things into your body and then then joining yourself to these pagan deities to experience their life within you. Paul is clear. We do not engage in that. We do not sit at the table of these false gods and goddesses. We sit at the table of a risen Lord. We've been joined to his body. So we do not fill ourselves with with strong drink or with illicit sex. He says we are now partners with, we are now filled with the Holy Spirit. And so in these verses, he says, if we are spirit-filled people, that's who we now are, then we walk, we live in a different way. And he gives us four participles, four verbs that describe what spirit-filled people do instead. He says, people filled with the spirit now speak, they now sing, they now give thanks, they now submit in new and radical ways. That's what a way of worship in this world looks like. Verses 19 through 21 then are all one idea in this letter. Notice, if you will, how strongly the Spirit as it fills us desires to transform our speech, Paul says. Verses 19 and 20, both there are three commands primarily dealing with the way we speak, with the words we use. Verse 19, Paul says that the Spirit supplies us with psalms and with hymns and with songs to build one another up. The Spirit gives us words of truth and goodness to sing over each other. And again, in verse 19, this, this first verb envisions what we do with each other. The words we speak to one another, Paul says. The way we worship in our life is is to speak the words of Scripture, the songs of our God, over each other. I'm grateful that throughout my study of this book of Ephesians, my friend Dom Corvu has also shared with me some of his own reflections on his study of these passages. And in this section, he writes that the command here describes... The activities we typically associate with the gathered assembly. What we do here on a Sunday morning. But Paul says they should also be part of our lives out in the world. Our lives with each other. We must be open about our faith and the things we are learning in our daily lives. Dom says if we're living out our daily lives together as we should be. This has an impact. Christians whose speech is worshipful and thankful to God, rather than rude, abusive, or obscene, are surely a light in a dark world. The way we walk, the way we navigate through our world is meant to be different. And that begins with the way we speak to one another. 
But Paul says at the end of verses 19 and then into 20 that to learn that discipline of of gratitude-laden, praise-filled speech with each other, the Spirit also inspires us to sing from our hearts to the Lord himself. There's a a vertical dimension that, that we're transformed in the way we speak and live before the Lord. He says, the Spirit giving thanks to our Father enables us to, to be grateful for all things. Right? Giving thanks to God the Father for everything. Being overflowing with, with songs of, of gratitude to God himself. Even in the hardship. Even in the things that we feel are, are difficult. People who are Spirit-filled are consumed by worship. Everything they say, everything they do is a chance to to sing before their God. And so as Paul envisions the way of worship, again, he's not just describing what we do in a sanctuary or what we do in in a praise time. But he's talking about what happens in us and through us as we go about, as we walk into the raising of our families, as we go about the working of our jobs, as we walk into all the pains and the pressures of our lives. Paul says we are now new persons. We are whole persons, filled up with the spirit, filled up with the the wisdom, filled up with the power and the presence of God himself. And so all of who we are is now worship. All of what we are can be offered to God. Our words don't need to insist that we are right. We don't need to use words as weapons. We are the beloved children of God. We are the children who walk in his light, who walk in his wisdom, who walk in the Son of Jesus the Christ. So Paul says... Worship is is speaking to one another in this way. It's speaking to the Father in this this profoundly grateful and worshipful sense. And then he goes on in verse 21 and he says, if you really want to know what it is to be filled with the Spirit, to walk in a radically different way, he says that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I don't think this is possible Unless we are first joined to Christ. People who don't have the spirit of Jesus Christ living in them could not live in the way Paul is inviting them to live in verse 21. But he says, if you now walk in his way, if his spirit now lives in you, then live in submission to each other. Out of reverence for the one who has purchased you. Out of reverence for the one who has called you and filled you and loved you. Paul says, now be like him. Who was Christ but again the presence, the power of God himself take on the form of a servant. God submitting himself to humanity. Submitting himself to the cross for our sake. Now be like him. ...with one another. Now be like him in the way... ...that you serve each other first. Let me tell you... ...there is no more radical way... ...there's there's no more disarming way... ...to walk through our world. Whether it's in our church relationships... or, ...or our lives with unbelievers... ...than if we take verse 21 literally. 
right? People don't do this unless they are compelled, unless they are full of God's Spirit. Inviting them to be humble, to be gracious, to love and return love even when we are not loved. And Paul is going to go on that the rest of chapter 5 and into chapter 6 are, are going to be a, a discursus, an exploration of what this command means. But today I would, I would invite you to, to think about it in concert with, with what it means to be a person of wisdom and a person of worship. Paul says, walk in a new way. Move through your world in a new way. Be people filled with the Spirit, filled with the wisdom of God. Let me pray for us as we endeavor to apply these verses this week. Jesus, to be in you is to be different. Different here, different when we're alone, different when we're at home, different when we're in the world. Lord, help us to walk with you. Direct our steps. And Lord, would you give us maybe one or two really practical ways as we leave here today that we might submit ourselves to you, we might humble ourselves before another, to walk before them in the way of Christ, to serve them, and to love them. Fill us with your spirit now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.